Good morning, everyone. Paul from the Data Storytellers here. Today, I'm here with Henning von Roon, who's the Head of Technology Practices, Common Analytics Capabilities for TUI Group. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Paul. So just to start with, in, in, in a few words, tell us about your professional background, your, your journey to your current role with TUI. So I initially started, um, I, I actually did my business informatics degree, um, schooling degree in the beginning. So always have been on a journey of IT in the uh, from the get-go. Um, I started as a support engineer, really, um, at Miele. Then I went back to study um, and did a dual study. So half-time studying, half-time working as a consultant in the finance industry, mostly really large IT projects um, for, for yeah, big data centers. And um, yeah, after a while, I didn't want to travel anymore as a consultant. Um, actually, my girlfriend found the position at, at TUI and said, look, hmm. this is something you, you, I think you like. And I did like it. But next day, I was meeting my boss. I never really saw it at that time. So I wrote my resignation before I actually sent my, uh, my, my CV to TUI. And, um, but here I am, seven year, nearly seven years later, over seven years later, long time already. Um, yeah, I started as a business analyst at TUI in the business intelligence team um, for Century Europe. Um, after, after a couple of years, I became product owner for advanced analytics and data science. That was about a year. And then do, we always transform large corporations, you know how it goes. So the position opened up for me to become the head of analytics capabilities um, which basically I've been doing for the last three years. Now, a little over a year, this changed to my official title, Head of Technology Practices, Common Analytics Capabilities, which is a mouthful. Um, but basically what happened is before this transformation, I was doing everything I'm doing today, but for Central Europe. Now I'm doing it for TUI Group. I'm doing it for everybody. Mm. And that's a pretty, pretty interesting journey. And it's, it's, it's very common of large organizations, right? Where you come in as an analyst and you build the function out and then there's more people coming on board and you're all the most experienced. So you kind of work your way up in, in, in that way. I mean, specifically when it comes to analytics, what, really, what do you like most about the, the job and the current role, let's say? The job and the current role, I think there's so many possibilities with analytics. So back in the day as an analyst, I... I and, and I still enjoy it. I like uh, cracking those tough nuts, those you can't seem to get that data to work for the business questions you have um, because of the complexity of the business model and, and things like that. But analytics, um, I mean, data is in your oil. We, we all heard that before now. Um, data is so central and you can do so much with it. Um, I think that's a part of my job I really enjoy is enabling. Actually, my role is to enable others. I, I don't really do analytics myself. My team is, is only partly doing analytics. We are more a um, centralized part of a decentralized organization of enabling a lot of others. And for me personally, that makes me happy to see another team thrive and bringing in those millions of revenue because of an analytics product. 
Mm. And that's a good point to bring up because you, you mentioned that your role is the the enabler. Would you say that this is your, especially within the, the analytics capabilities role that you're in, is this yeah. your only role as the enabler, or do you, you know, how both how are you perceived, but how do you perceive yourself? You know, are you also a data evangelist, a, a, a data champion, um, mm-hmm. or maybe some other roles that I haven't mentioned? <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's a mixture of a lot of things. So I think when we start looking at, at my department I have, um, there are four different teams ranging from the classic uh, data warehousing approach, which sits on top of a data lake. Um, we there provide the technical solutions to other data engineers and data analysts. But we also go and don't just say, here's a tool. We listen to them and find out how they work and tweak, tweak it so nobody else needs to think about um, how they do their work twice. I have a data science team with me who only supports strategic important projects. I have data architects with me who make sure that all these decentralized teams still can work together. Um, and in the end of the day, I'm also responsible for the front-end tools like Tableau we use. Um, now, in Tableau, I guess my role is more evangelist coming around and say cross tables. You can do cross tables. Everybody loves cross tables, but maybe visualization will be better. It's not always. Uh, sometimes the cross tables are also good. Um, I think in that area, it's more evangelist. In the other areas, it's more a supporting role. Um, it varies, to be honest. Mm. And one thing you, you've lightly touched on there, which I'm, I'm going to delve a lot deeper into, is uh, you know success and, and and getting people to say use use Tableau or use use other softwares and and, and ways of working. <clears throat> so for a particular project, from your perspective, what do you identify as a good success metric? Is it is it getting everyone on a particular team bought in to the idea, the macro idea? Is it actually you know someone hitting? A certain amount of usage of Tableau, or what? What does that look like for you? Yeah, exactly. So, with the senior management in that area, it's uh, about adoption rates for one. So, you could go as easy as we have so many dashboards and we have so many users. Are those great success metri- metrics? Probably not. They are very operational, and they will help you understand where you are at that point of time. Um, I think. A success metric um, we have implemented in the data science space. We have a platform where data scientists can work on and we enable them to use it. We came up with a metric of um, benefit to cost ratio. We took the personal cost, so resource cost of building that and supporting that, plus the cloud infrastructure cost, and um, say per euro spent here, how much benefit are we driving in? Not say it's not project controlling, right? This is this mm. is far off. It's giving you an idea. I can tell you now, I'm um, around ten euros per euro spent. I'm bringing in with this platform and this team, and that's I think that's something you could call a success metric, mm. um, which is very specific. Um, to get it, I think the road you have to understand the road how to get a good success metric. And that is understanding your strategy, breaking down for us, it is a tool strategy, breaking that down into an analytics strategy, and then breaking that down, in this case, I was talking about a minute ago, into Tableau. What is the success metrics there? What is our goal we want to achieve? And then you can, you probably have a couple of success metrics, nearly never just one, which is, is a golden nugget. <laughs> mm. 
And that's what everybody's looking for, right? Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. And uh, you mentioned that one of the projects you were working on was about getting senior managers aware of what goes on in analytics. Or that's that's the way I took it. Maybe maybe I was wrong about when you mentioned Tableau. How important do you think it is for senior management to know the intricacies of, for example, how Tableau works? And and, and, and kind of a wider question, how how much technical detail? Where, where would you draw the line for that to, <laughs> in terms of giving them that technical information? It's a very interesting cultural question as well. Um, I've, I mean, we are an international company. Um, I would say we Germans are more prone to keeping on a high level and and passing down. I'm not saying that other cultures don't trust their people, but we just tend to go not that deep. Where with my English colleagues, um, which which um, I, I uh, like working with a lot, they usually go a lot deeper. So sometimes I get questions from a higher level um, that they want to know that I usually can't even answer. Um, where do you draw the line? First of all, it's a cultural question. I tend to say I give my teams a direction. And if they they know, they, they don't have rules. They know the direction. And they have a, a feeling over time. They have developed a feeling of what is a strategic decision. So we need to involve the head off. And what is a decision we take? Um, and that's... A road we, we usually take. For senior management to, to understand, they should have a basic understanding of, of technology and analytics because we hit a lot of problems and it doesn't help to just throw uh, hit us with hammers and from top down and say, make it work. Um, on the other side, it really helps to get those, sorry, dumb questions. I, I like to do that in my team as well, to go in, why is it so complex? Why isn't it this way? And it really makes you think of what you're doing is, is correct. Mm. Yeah, you, this this whole the, the the dumb questions one is a really good. I I think that uh, if you encourage people to ask dumb questions, that's actually a catalyst for for open, positive conversation, and 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 that's a really yeah. important leadership quality. I and mean, what do you think are the qualities of of data leaders who inspire real change and 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 actually are good managers as well? Yeah. So for, for data leaders, it is definitely a background in analytics and technology. Mm. You have, need to have an understanding there where it's coming from, what is a traditional warehouse, some basic basics, really. Mm. Um, you can learn that as well, but, but you, you, need to, you need to want to learn it. Um, and, and for the rest, it's, it's pretty common common abilities you need to be able to understand the business area i mean i, I spent my time with, with so many different business areas where the business area i'm spending my time with they are focused on their area um, but i need to be able to to understand that problem um, within the data science space we actually learned quite quickly that the questions the business is asking is usually not that problem question so mm-hmm. you usually tell them go away with the question tell us your real problem tell us how you work and then we'll understand what the, what your problem actually is so you need to be able to drive that out um and honestly be humble i'm i'm not a tui to make a career i'm i'm making my career yes but i'm not there for my personal gain um i'm there to bring tui forward 
and taking that wave, obviously I'm, I'm coming forward as well. But if you have a type of approach, which is a little bit selfless, I would say, um, I think you are more prone to be liked and your ideas to be listened to. And, and that works both ways, right? Uh, you, you mentioned that if someone has a business problem, a lot of the time they come to you and it's not what they think is the problem isn't actually the problem. Uh, and you mentioned that humility is a really strong quality and I, I would agree. But what about in that particular situation, being assertive, you know, having the courage to say, this isn't your problem to someone who may, may or may not be more senior than you may work in a different department. There may be some conflicting interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you go about approaching a situation like that? Well, I, I guess the first question is, do they already know you, that you are a humble person? If, if that's the case, be, be straight. Tell them, look, I don't think this is your problem. Can we just give me half an hour, explain me what you're doing, and, and I want to drive out what your real problem is. Um, if they're not having that, it's going to be a complicated case for you to, to try to solve the issue because then I guess you have to approach it for them the way they want first. But um, another, maybe be bold. At the same time, make a little POC of your understanding as well and then present them their solution, but also bring along and say, look, I spent a little bit of my extra time and I've got something I think you'll like better. And then you start building that relationship of, hey, okay, I think the other one knows that they can listen to you and, and maybe give you a little bit more time mm. next time. And you've been working in the, the, you know, the analytics space for some time now. How do you mm. see data analytics today? Um, how, and when I mean this, I, I mean the state of the, the general progress of data-driven business transformation in the corporate world. Mm. Um. First of all, I think um, it is very different to different industries, to countries. I mean, I'm in, from Germany. Uh, we are very, very far back with the data world in general because we're very cautious in, in our nature and uh, actually also our laws. Um, so that makes a lot of things complicated. Um, but also in the industry, um, there's industries you are more cautious than others. Um, but in general, the data world has evolved quite quickly. So there's some, some technology side points why, why we can do um, things we can't, weren't able to do before. I think one big change, I think, for me was um, splitting the storage from the compute. Before, you were always um, buying big machines to store your data and to calculate everything. And everything you were hitting some limits, you were not, uh, you couldn't scale. And we had, we've gained a lot of scalability of actually splitting that up. Um, the world is, is transforming and everybody is understanding what data is and how it can help. I fear at some stages... Um, data is, has a very negative um, view. I mean, Google being evil, collecting as much data as they do. Um, that's something that sticks around. Um, so in, in a business, you have to always also translate how it's helping the business to collect this data or how it's actually helping your customer. Be really transparent of your, what you're doing. That's a, I, that's, that's a really great point. And how, what do you define as 
data drivenness? What would that mean for you and your, your function in your role? Well, open your Tableau dashboard and find, to, to find facts that prove your point. Um, that is data driven. If you and data driven doesn't it doesn't stop a data analyst. If you are wherever you are in the business, and you are in a role where you have questions and you have to find answers to questions, your first goal should be look into the data. Then you are data driven. Mm. I would say. So it's, it's is, true as it could be. Yeah, is that the biggest opportunity for? ambitious companies and leaders today or do you think there's there's more to be exploited there's obviously a lot more because uh, data drivenness is is one one side is the cultural aspect i was just talking about which is the hardest to achieve um, i mean the rest is around automation ai um, and ai very often leads to automation in the end of the day or better decision making and automated decision making again automation mm. um That's, so it's not the end, but data drivenness, um, first of the, first of all, I think is, is a cultural thing to understand this and to understand, um, what good data can do for you. I think I have a great example from a couple of years ago. We had the challenge. I mean, two year owns hotels and we sell hotels to customers. Um, but you can imagine that the type of Booking for hotel varies. What type of booking? I mean, how early before your stay do you book your holiday? Mm. Do you book that a week in advance, two months in advance, or a year in advance? And we got, went to the business and said, we need a rule for this because of some automated trading. Um, we need a rule for this. What is the rule you would do? You've been doing this job for over 20 years. And they said, look, take the amount of children. And then they gave us amounts of children and then told us, okay, This is how you split it. And that was really, that made a lot of sense. If you have children, a lot of children in the hotel, that's families that book their holiday really early, right? Mm. Um, well, we, we've plotted that on, on a chart for three years of bookings when was the time when they were booked and um, um, took those rules. And it showed us no real differentiation in the booking curves. So we went out and I think we used the K-Mean cluster in that case. And it, it, it yielded a true different booking curve for those hotels. We went back to the business, told them, look, great rule you had, but look at the data. doesn't work. Here's an automated solution. Um, it works. And that was all we had to do in that case. And that's a, that's a really good uh, case study, I think. And, and it does tie in a lot to the cultural barriers, as you mentioned. From your experience, what are the biggest barriers to culture? Is it senior management? Is it you know people buy-in? Is it you know just not having the right data at the right time? What is that? What does that look like in your eyes? Biggest barriers. Um, it's it's a fear of of possibly losing your job, which is not the intention in general. I mean, it's, yes, there are projects which are based on on making. Uh, stuff redundant um, but a good company like TUI usually takes those employees and tries to upskill them to something else or to a different area um, I, I, to be honest in the world I am in um, the senior management has understood the need of data and uh, TUI is transforming to become a digital company um, so everybody who hasn't really understood that 
needs to catch up, to be mm. honest. Um, the biggest hurdle are mostly actual technical problems with a huge enterprise and lots of different technologies that implementing solutions always takes too long and people get anxious. Uh, they don't understand that why it takes six months to implement a small solution. And then the projects get downsized and, and yeah. And, and a lot of what we've mentioned today do tie into soft skills. You know, if, you, if you're scared of losing your job, for example, that, that is down to an issue of influence and persuasion. What yeah. are some of the ways that you uh, use those soft skills, so, that, so to say, to, to build that influence, to, to actually persuade when you need to? If I have someone who's, who's scared of, I mean, back, back a couple of years ago, we went to a trading department. They got 16 to 17 reports in an Excel format um, a week to look at, um, some act- actually also daily. And we went there and said, look, we can improve this world for you. Um, we are going to build one dashboard. And obviously some people were scared because they used a lot of time now, but they then understood and you had to overcome the fear also with, with taking them along and explaining what they can do now. In that case was you will have more time to actually look at those rules you're doing and the trades you are doing. Um, you are, you're going to need to less time to understand the different data points, but we are giving you a good tool to make your job easier and you perform even better. Mm. So tell us about a time that these soft skills really played into serious business change in your role? Serious business change. Um, I'm going to take Tableau here um, because we used and we started using Tableau now in, in June. We signed our corporate deal. Um, we were using a different solution before. And um, well, time was running. We were, we were about a year away from um, our contracts expiring and there was a lot of people not being happy with the solution. Um, so I started influencing around me asking this question, shouldn't we start doing, looking a new solution or at least start negotiation with this company and so on. Um, everybody was a little bit scared, but because when this question arised, we were in the middle of Corona. Um, mm. TUI has stopped working at all, basically. And I was bringing up off uh, a, a million dollar deal, basically, uh, to be done. Um, obviously, this was more of senior management above me to, to kickstart it. But afterwards, instead of one central team, my team being responsible, making the selection process, we went out to the most, most strategic uh, analytics areas and said, look, you're the leader here. This decision has to be taken. Take us, we are taking you on the journey. What's your requirements? And we've done a uh, one month, 50 people POC, four different solutions, one week per solution. And it was a very comprehensive um, selection process. And everybody was involved. We had the seven main areas. We had over 50 users involved. Mm-hmm. And I think um, they're being the moderator. I, my role was more a moderator there and, and bringing the people to the table. Um, to, to not a perfect unanimous decision, by the way, but still, even the ones voting for something else got in line and said, look, it's a group decision. Mm. And a, a big part of your role, I'm sure, is, is actually building trust and making, you know, convincing people to trust you, especially over Zoom and with COVID and 
you know, remote working, what do you think are some of the best ways to build and facilitate trust? Um, for one, I think that's not, not really related to the Zoom question now, but for one, I think, first of all, my approach and our approach is we don't set the tools you have to use. We have a common way and we offer it to you, but we can't force you to use it. That's, I think, the first step. Because when I force something on you, even if it's better for you, you're going to be held back for a second and say, go away. But we come with a silver platter um, and, and tell we have something great. Do you want to try it? And what first thing I've done for my team when we went to home office was I said to them, book in half an hour a day uh, to have a coffee chat. And guys, don't talk business. That's, I mean, you always went to drink coffee anyways. And... I mean, check in with your, your colleagues, where they are, what they're doing. Um, I mean, you know, the question of how are you doing, maybe really mean that question. Um, also, again, a cultural thing of when we Germans get the question, you probably get a true answer. Um, if we are not too aware of the culture of, of that question, actually. But yeah, try to actually mean the question and, and spend five minutes off that meeting to, to talk about some private things, what's going on. And the rest is really, I mean, do your job. And if you want to help someone instead of work for your personal own gain, you're going to be trustworthy after a while. And with your role, what do you foresee as like the biggest strategy that you go with? So, for example, how intentional and rigorous are you with things like setting clear priorities and building plans for the team and following roadmaps and, and, and doing that stuff as a leader? That's, hmm. to be honest, a really, really hard part in some areas because uh, set, I have a team looking after the enterprise data warehousing technologies we use they get a lot of questions with high priority because some team plan to do something. Then while doing that in their sprint, they realize they can't do it and they need our support. That's a little bit annoying because they always forget to involve us. Right? So there in that space, roadmap planning is hard for one because you always get these priorities. In. For the second part, nobody cares, to be honest. Nobody cares as long as the platform is working they don't care. If it's not working, everybody cares. So how do you design a vision and a roadmap? You have to do that yourself. So I work with my technology lead to have a vision in place for the team and also to communicate. Um, in other areas, front end to it, everybody wants to use it. Everyone wants to know right now when they are going to get it, how they're going to get it, what's the learning path. So that's on the other side, really challenging again, because we have a more agile approach of saying, look, we give you the tool, everything you're going to work through, it's going to be messy at the start. Uh, you're always going to get challenged. Um, to be honest, vision, vision I think, is, is what most leaders struggle with. Mm. Um, vision and roadmaps. And it's, it's, it's uh, a lot easier said than done, right? You know, build a roadmap. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> My last question, I've had a really good conversation today, Henning, and, and I just want to get your own recommendations and advice that you'd give to leaders in analytics and data. Be humble. Um, that's, that's, I, would, I would give that to not only leaders, to everybody working. It's, it's more enjoyable working with someone, but in the analytics world, 
but your job is make yourself redundant. If you've done a great job, you can quit and go away. Nobody notices. Then, then you've done a great job. Um, don't overcomplicate. Try to make the simplest solution work and then make it more complicated if it needs to be. Um, and to be honest, be brave. Sometimes just build it and apologize later. <laughs> Excellent. Well, again, Henning, great conversation, some really good insights there. And I hope to have you again on the show soon. Thank you very much, Paul. It was fun. Thank you.